Taylor lovers. Welcome indeed. Um, I guess I should start the episode by disclaiming that we might sound a little bit different today than we normally do. And that's because we are getting fancy schmancy and recording this episode over Zoom. Woohoo! We're living in the digital age, baby. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, and per our big comeback last week where we were like, sorry, we've been away for a million years and managed to put out an episode. We are going strong with another consecutive episode. So major, I'm giving us major participation points for our efforts Absolutely. these past two weeks. Listen, the amount of stuff that you and I both have going on in our lives that bleeds out past the hours of nine to five of our regular jobs, I feel like we deserve some participation points for for getting this done today. Absolutely. I think Taylor would agree too. I think so. I think so. Um, So what are we going to be talking about today, Jenna? Okay. So we've got two tracks on Mm -hmm. Fearless. We've got The Way I Loved You and a big one, Forever and Always which is kind of a fun one. We'll get to it. We'll get to it whenever um, we get to forever and always, but you and I have a little bit of history with this song together. We do indeed. And I was thinking about that too. And it it especially um, felt very nostalgic and meaningful because it's, it was a long time ago that our sort of uh, bonding experience over this song happened. And it, it made me realize like, wow, we've been friends for a long time now, which is always crazy, especially for friends that you meet outside of school, because it's so hard to make friends as an adult. And I think that it's, um, I just think it's really special that we can look back now and be like, it's been, I mean, I got, I got the job at the conservatory in 2017 and it's now 2022. So that's like almost six years. Crazy. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a really long time. Crazy. But yes, we will talk about our history when we get to that song. Uh, but of course, we are going to start with uh, going chronologically from where we left off. So the last song we reviewed was You're Not Sorry. And we are picking up with track number 10, which yeah. is The Way I Loved You. Would you like me to kick things off for this one? Sure. All right. Let's do it. So The Way I Loved You is track 10 on Fearless. It was written by Taylor Swift and John Rich of Big and Rich, who are a country duo. And I was very proud of myself that as soon as I saw their little name, I actually knew who they were. I was like, I've heard of these guys before. That makes one of us. And then I was embarrassed because I was proud of myself for thinking that they're the guys that sing, um, uh, you want to make me want to roll my windows down and cruise. And I was like, Oh no, that's, that's Florida, Georgia line. <laughs> but I, mean, I think that's a fair, they're both country duos. They're, they're both yeah. country groups that are two dudes. So, you know, I'm doing my yeah. best. Um, but the 2008 version was produced by Taylor Swift and Dathan Chapman. Uh, Taylor's version was produced by Taylor and Christopher Rao. And the hidden message on this one is we can't go back. Drama <sighs> Taylor strikes again. <laughs> so dramatic. Chart-wise, uh, the, two, the 2008 version of The Way I Loved You peaked at number 72 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it spent one week on the chart, and it was certified gold by the RIAA on July 23rd, 2018. 
Wow. It took it a while to get there. It did. I know. And this one, as far as I remember, was not a single, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So respectable. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it's crazy when you think it's like, oh, that's a whole decade. Yeah. Taylor's version peaked at number 94 on the Billboard Hot 100 when it came out just a couple, just a year ago. Um, And it also spent one week on the chart. And you know what? Again, for a song like this, that wasn't a single, that's not really anyone's favorite. Oh, I'm going to offend some people by saying that. (laughs) That to to even get onto the 100, I'm like, what a testament to her staying power. Am I right? I think you're right. Right. All right. Now I don't have a lot in the way of critical reception for this song. So I'll tell you what I found and then I'll let you go into the meaning and origin of the song. Okay, great. Um, I did discover Rob Sheffield's definitive ranking of all Taylor Swift songs, 206 of them in total. And this includes her Christmas songs. It includes wow. Mac- it includes Macavity from Cats. Like <laughs> it doesn't he, count. I know it's really kind of silly, like how in depth he went. But that was the only reference to this song specifically that I could find using my quotations in my Google search to try to get as detailed as I could. Um, and all I can tell you is. This song actually did better than I expected it to on Rob Sheffield's definitive ranking coming in at 168 out of 206. And I'm like, really? Do you remember where it stands as compared to McCavity? (laughs) (laughs) I don't off the top of my head, but I feel like McCavity was probably maybe in like the 180s or something. Maybe the 190s. I think it was was higher. I think this was, I think this was higher than McCavity. (laughs) Shots fired at Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. To I'll, I'll double check on that. Okay. And, or if anybody listening to this episode knows offhand, uh, if you have all 206 memorized, let us know. Uh, um, I apologize for my dog is whining in the background right now. So if you're hearing aww. weird noises, um, somebody pulled into the parking lot behind our apartment and he's outraged by that idea. <laughs> It's like, how dare you? Um, <laughs> that's so funny. If it makes you feel better, I can barely hear him at all. He's being okay, great. Yeah, you're doing a good job of filtering. Your mic is top notch. Um, yeah, Rob Sheffield doesn't really review, it doesn't even review the song in the ranking. He just says, um, he kind of summarizes it. And then he does note that his favorite line in the song is, he respects my space and he never makes me wait. And I'm like, that is one of the least impactful lines in the whole song. Yeah. I think he um, was tired when he wrote this and he was like, <laughs> all right, quick, just what's, what's a lyric I remember that'll do. I just typed it in. I, I just wonder, is it because he's a man and he doesn't get this song? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no offense, men, but I feel like you get this song a little bit more if you are more similar in personality and in emotions to Taylor. Emotions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's possible. Um, I don't know. That sounds like a man's favorite line out of this song. If I ever heard one. I know. Right. But <laughs> yeah, unfortunately that's all the, that's the only specific like reference to it in, in a, in a critique I could find. But if, if anyone listening again, knows of anyone who loved it or hated it or what have you feel free to send that to us. We'd love to see it. 
All right. On to the kind of meaning behind the song. Yes. Okay. So in an interview with That's Country, uh, Taylor explained the story of this song saying, quote, I got this idea for a song about being in a relationship with a nice guy who is punctual and opens up the door for you and brings you flowers, but you feel nothing. The whole time you're with him, you're thinking about the guy who was complicated and messy and frustrating. So I brought that idea, the title, and where I thought the song should go to John. He was able to relate to it because he is that complicated, frustrating, messy guy in his relationships. We came at the song from different angles. It was just so cool to get in a room and write with John Rich because he really is an incredible writer. I love that John's outing himself as like, oh, I'm the messy one. This is about me. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Um, and I do, I think I think he, uh, you're about to read it in the next little bit here, but I, I love just to preface what's coming next. I love that Taylor who wrote this song from the perspective of being, you know, of pining for that could still appreciate the alternate perspective of it and and be open to that because obviously like as much as this song does celebrate complicated and messy love it that that also leads to heartbreak for uh, clearly herself and for the character in the story and so to be able to sit down in a room with someone who's self-proclaimed is kind of that person um and just be like but they're such a good writer and we have we we were able to work on this and it's and that's what you know really brought it to life I think that's so classy and so cool and just a testament to her collaborative skills and really again I mean she was between the ages of like 18 and 19 when she was writing this yeah impressive for somebody Mm -hmm. that young to have that perspective and that collaborative ability I think Mm -hmm. um So as Carly said, um, she, this is also part of that interview with that's country, um, where Taylor was talking just about the collaboration part of the song. And she said, it was always one of my goals to write with John. I'd heard so many things about him. I just wanted to see what it was like to get into a room with him because I know I'm a very opinionated writer and I knew he was a very opinionated writer. So I knew this was either going to be the best thing in the world or was just going to be a complete train wreck. (laughs) That's funny. Uh Um, I, I love that idea of her being like, well, we're both hard-headed. Is this going to work? But let's try it anyway. And now, is it the best thing in the world from like the actual finished song? I think our ratings will speak a little bit differently about that. But um, I mean, it, it certainly was not a complete train wreck. Not a complete train wreck. No, not in the slightest. I would agree with that. Um, And then, so John Rich uh, was talking about working with Taylor to the boot. And he said, quote, sure, there's an age difference, but she knows herself and her audience very well. And she's so connected to who that audience is. She knows she's still a kid and embraces it. She writes things that are important to her. If she breaks up with a boyfriend, that's traumatic to her and she'll write about it. Just like if I'm pissed off at the news, I'll write shutting Detroit down, but we respect that about each other. (laughs) I love this. That's, I, I love that he really had the respect for her and that he understood where her strengths were. And just you wait, John Rich, give it a little bit, give it a couple years and she'll be writing political songs too. Straight up, straight up. And I, I really do love this. And um, even as someone, again, like, it's not like I'm a huge country fan. I'm really not a country person. Um, and I know I, I get, was very proud of myself for knowing who big and rich are. Um, <laughs> my husband grew up in the country. So I was like, yeah, okay. I've, I've heard these guys. 
Uh, but I think that whenever you, whenever you think about male country artists, I think that we all, a stereotype comes to mind, right? We, we usually think of people who are very, very conservative, maybe not the most thoughtful when it comes to how they speak about women in general or women in the mm-hmm. industry. Um, and it's very refreshing. And I give full credit to this guy for being someone of certainly someone of note in the country music scene. And then just talking openly about how much he respects a teenage female songwriter and that her experience of getting broken up with or breaking up with someone is traumatic and deserves to be written about. I think that's actually pretty progressive for, um, especially for the time, you know, when you think about 2008 and how many people were slamming her style and what she was writing about for this dude, who's, you know, a bona fide country star to be like, she's awesome. And she's, you know, just as worthy of, like praise for writing about what she wants to write about as I am for writing what I want to write about. Like, that's great. It is. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, you know, I feel like hearing this side of it, like this behind the song side of it gives me more appreciation for the song. I like it better now that I know this. (laughs) (laughs) So there's no music video for this beat, for this song. Um, There is a live performance. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it. I full honesty, I did not. We are kind of like doing this on the, on the seat of our pants right now. (laughs) We're totally flying by the seat of our pants. Um, But I will give you just a little taste of what's to come. And then tonight, whenever you're kicking back, cuddling with your pets, if you want some high class entertainment, you can watch (laughs) the live performance. Absolutely. it is, um, it is from the Fearless Tour, and she performed this number with some, with some acting. So just like she did with some, I think with 15 and with Love mm-hmm. Story, where she had people coming in and playing characters and like that kind of thing. So yes. with, when this performance kicks off, she is on the arm of... I guess what's supposed to be the archetypical perfect man. He straight up looks like Bill Weasley from Harry Potter. He's in a tuxedo. She's in her sparkly dress and they're like marching down the, 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 um, like the ramp of the stage together to the Mm -hmm. beat of the drums and she's singing and he's just staring forward like Prince Charming. And it's like, they're, it, it, it kind of is reminiscent of like walking down the aisle sort of, and it's hysterical. Um, and he's just got this like prim proper facial expression the whole time his back is straight he's got the shoulders he is selling gentlemen and it's hilarious it's hilarious (laughs) and then whenever she gets to the big part where she's talking about how I miss you know screaming and crying and cursing in the rain or whatever Mm -hmm. um it is she like breaks away from the gentleman and goes over to her punk haired guitarist and starts rocking out with him and it's just it's so cheesy it's super cheesy and it's kind of great I love how extra she was specifically in this in this era that's that sounds like a lot of fun I'm gonna have to check that out Mm -hmm. it's pretty great um so do you want to go first? Because I feel like we usually order it uh, just that green is usually on top of blue here in our Word document. But why don't you talk about your thoughts first? Sure. Um, so when I was thinking about this song overall, like what 
what do I feel about this song? I kept hearing that TikTok sound in my head that's like, is it me? Am I the drama? Because <laughs> I mean, like, this is somebody singing about how much she loves the drama of one relationship. And it's more, I think it's probably more along the lines of she loves the intense emotions of that relationship. Um, and when she has something that's like good and healthy and uh, positive, it's like ugh, boring. Um, so I just, I feel like if, if we were to assign a TikTok sound to this song, it would be that one, mm. um, which I, I think is very appropriate for a teenager. I feel like that's something that probably nowadays, Taylor, current 2022 Taylor probably really appreciates that Joe Alwyn is the nice guy who respects her space and never makes her wait and calls exactly when he says he will. And she probably appreciates that he's not, they're not screaming and fighting at two in the morning. Although I don't know, maybe they do. And she just doesn't write as much about it as she did back then. But anyway, um, anyhow, so I love the way that the, um, the sound of the song really like emanates the words of the song. So when she's talking about Mr. Nice Guy, this, and I, I like knowing that it was a, an imaginary figure in her head of like, oh, if I had somebody who like checked all these boxes, but didn't make me feel the same way that this other person made me feel who I think it's safe to say she had a relationship at the time that this was written that made her feel like the so in love that you act insane kind of love. I like that she was like, okay, let's just imagine I had the perfect guy, but he didn't make me feel that way. What would it yeah. feel like? And so like the, the verses are, they're slower, they're more drawn out. Her voice is softer. And then she gets into the chorus where she's singing about the crazy love and it's loud and the music's loud. And she sort of has this like breathless, like frantic sound to her. And I don't mean that as a critique of her voice, because certainly in this Taylor's version, it's her voice is very strong in this song. Um, but it's like it's the way that she like says every word that the way that the words run together and kind of like you have to take a big gulp of air before you start singing the chorus, because there's like no room to breathe in that, that like really emanates that feeling that the relationship was giving. Um, and the same thing with the bridge is, is that very frantic feeling too. So I love that, like the symbolism at work in the, um, in the music matches the lyrics perfectly, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, just like other, like, there are a bunch of little things that I like about this song. I like the rhyme. He is sensible and so incredible. I find that a very satisfying rhyme. Um, I, I love the way, like, kind of like I was just saying that it's like there's suspense building up before you get to the chorus. Like he opens up my door and I mm -hmm. get into his car. It's like the way that it's like really drawn out and like, you're just waiting for like, and then what, and then what, and then she like, and then she gives it to you. Uh -huh. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, I like the way that her voice sounds when she says, so in love that you act insane. Um, totally giving me got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. Uh, blank space vibes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I wonder if you did like a word cloud of every Taylor Swift lyric, how big in the word cloud is the word insane? <laughs> I feel like she uses that word a lot. Probably pretty big. That would be so fun. Can you imagine yeah. if like, if we had the technology to do that, just scan every song and then do a word yeah. cloud. I wonder what the biggest one would be. Insane's <sighs> got to be up there. Top five, top 10, top five, I, top 10. I feel like it has to mm-hmm. be. She uses the word insane a lot. A and lot. the best thing is that when she says it, she sounds like she's insane when she's singing it. Yes. And I think that's great. Um, I also love, there's a lot of like, like, um, musical symbolism happening in this song if you ask me um like when she says roller kind roller roller coaster kind of rush the vocal run that she does on rush is like a roller coaster where it goes up and down down. um I think that's clever um I also think it's a little bit like funny slash ironic the line I never knew I could feel that much because it's like girl um either you're not in touch with the fact that you feel a lot of things big time, which I don't think is the case or like, holy shit, how much were you feeling that even you didn't know that you could feel this much that that feels like there's a high bar for that. Um, and then I also like, I can't think of what the, there's like a rhetorical device for this, the way that she phrases he's close to my mother he talks business with my father I don't know if it's just like um uh, like juxtapositioning or do you know what the word is that I'm looking for the way that it's like parallel maybe parallels is what I'm looking yeah for. that's the only word that came to mind though I feel like there probably is a literary term that means yeah. the same thing but I get what you're talking I get what you're talking about yeah yeah so it's like the the parallel of he's close to her mother. And then the opposite of that, he talks business with her father. I don't know. There's, Mm -hmm. it's very simple, but I feel like it's very effective. Mm -hmm. Um, and also gives you this idea of like, Oh, he's like fully integrated into her life. Like he's not just the person she goes on dates with. He's got specific things that he, he does with his, with her mom and with her dad. Um, which just adds to this, like building up this character of like Mr. Perfect. Um, the whole bridge is, has some of my favorite, favorite lyrics from the whole song. Um, so like, he can't see the smile I'm faking and my heart's not breaking. Cause I'm not feeling anything at all. <laughs> it's so brutal. Good. It's so good. It is brutal. <laughs> and, um, also the, you were wild and crazy, just so frustrating, intoxicating, complicated. I, I love the way that it's just like, just like thoughts on the page coming out and they happen to like, it's, they're like approximate rhymes. They're not, they're not perfect rhymes, but, um, they, they sound enough like each other that it feels like a rhyme. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's a really powerful bridge queen of the city of bridges. Um, I know the last couple songs we talked about, you were not feeling the strings so much. Um, I did like the strings on this song. I thought it added, on a level of theatrical nature to this song that it's already a very theatrical song. So I felt like they fit on this one. Um, so overall I give it a seven out of 10. It's not like 
it's missing the secret sauce of like a Taylor Swift song that I just like have to listen to over and over again. But there are lots of little things that I like about it. So that's what I thought. What about you, Carly? That I think that you summed it up really, really well when you said it just doesn't have secret sauce. Mm -hmm. That's what a great analogy. Like it's so hard to actually quantify what it, what it is um, that makes a song quintessentially Taylor Swift and like an absolute banger. And I I would agree. I don't think this one has it, but similarly to you, there are lots of little things that I do like about it. So um, I'm more or less indifferent about the song in general. Like it's definitely not one that I seek out. Um, if I'm listening to fearless, I probably wouldn't skip it necessarily, but it's, it's not one that I'm ever going to like go and, and play just because I'm in the mood for it. Um, I don't think, I think where this song suffers the most is the verses and not in their lyrics. I think that like you pointed out a lot of the lyrics, like, um, Uh, I think what was the rhyme sensible and incredible. He is sensible and so incredible. There are interesting um, plays on words. There are interesting Mm -hmm. comparisons, a lot of great use of adjectives that are not cliched, uh, Mm -hmm. which she does really, really well. But in general, the melody of the verses just feels kind of like unmemorable. Yeah. But the refrain, I think, absolutely rocks. It is so strong. It has such a sense of momentum where it keeps driving forward. And you'd said you'd need to take a huge gulp of air before singing that. You're absolutely right. It's just it. And and that's what's so great about it is that it Mm -hmm. feels like this outpouring of emotion. Um, And the melody of the refrain does stick in your head. It's quite catchy in a way that I think the verses aren't. Um, and there's something about the, there's something about the melody of the refrain too, that does feel very quintessentially country. And I think that that's, I mean, she obviously has a lot of songs that sound country already, but then combine her songwriting talent with John Rich, who's obviously a really accomplished country musician. And I think that that probably was the product of getting those two in the room together is that this is such a twangy, like that refrain in particular, where she's going Mm -hmm. off and listing all of the things about him, screaming and fighting and blah, 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 blah. Um, like the way she goes up on curse in your name. Um, there's just, it's super, super country, but in a way that I think is undeniably good, even as someone mm-hmm. who's not a country fan. Um, <laughs> back to the verses for a second. This, I feel like maybe this is polarizing. I, maybe there's strong opinions on both sides of this argument. Okay. I personally, personally just really don't like this high school marching band style percussion that's happening. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? I do now that you say it, but I never would have like called it that <laughs> myself, but, but you're right. It definitely, yes, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's something that shows up in a couple of her songs. Mm-hmm. I know it's more than just these two, but the two that come to, to mind immediately are this song, the way I loved you. And then also me, the one with Brendan Urie, where it's like, it's just, 
Yeah. yeah. Listen to the percussion. It is, it is marching band style drumming. I don't know a more intelligent way to describe it. Um, and I hate it for some reason. I can't tell you why. Maybe it's because I really had no school spirit when I was in high school and it reminds me of pep rallies. And I'm like, no, like, I don't want it. Um, but there's something that feels, uh, it feels incongruous with the rest of the song. You have a refrain that's mm-hmm. such a solid twangy country pop refrain. And then you have this verse that sounds like, you know, let's go tigers. Like what's going on? I don't know. It's just weird. Um, so I don't love that, but I didn't put this in my notes, but I agree with you. I think that the strings work on this song. There's something about the strings that feel appropriate and they especially feel appropriate when Taylor Swift is marching down the stage with Bill Weasley <laughs> in a tux and you're looking at him and she's singing about how he's so perfect and gentlemanly. The, the strings kind of play into that whole, that whole side of it. I yeah, feel like. uh-huh. I get that. Yeah. Um, and then as far as like the content of the song, the actual story itself, I think as an adult, I, I can certainly appreciate the drama. I and, and you, I think, made a very good point in saying this song can re- be represented in that phrase. Is it me? Am I the drama? Like, yes, absolutely. Because we know Taylor loves the drama. Um, or rather, she doesn't love the drama. The drama loves her. Um, yeah. <laughs> but when I was in high school, um, all, all I could think is if I had heard this song when I was in high school, which I never had, but if I had... I would have been such a brat about it just in the same way I was about a song like 15 mm-hmm. where I was thinking no of course I wouldn't believe it if someone said they loved me because I'm only a teenager I don't even know what love is yet I feel like if I had heard this one I would have been you know going off about how well that's not love that's just being toxic. What are you talking about? You loved screaming and crying and kissing in the rain and cursing his name and acting insane. You know, that's ridiculous and unhealthy. I would have just gotten on like a high horse about it. And you would have been correct, by the way. <laughs> well, and that's, I'm thank you. Thank you for that validation. I was going to bring it, bring it full circle by kind of saying, I do still agree with that. I think that, you know, I can listen to this and appreciate appreciate the drama while also saying Mm. come on like have you not learned by now that we don't want to fight and cry that's not fun for us we would no but simultaneously I will say I completely completely empathize with the idea of being with someone who checks every box but you can't explain why you don't that you don't feel passion for them I think that's universal and that deserves credence um well we can also say you shouldn't necessarily want to be with someone that you fight with all the time it's probably not a good song <laughs> um there's a great Marin Morris song about that same thing um uh I wish I was uh mm-hmm. you're looking for true love and I'm not the one but I wish I wish I was like we look mm-hmm. perfect on paper blah 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 it's basically about how he's lovely but there's not that she can't control the fact that she doesn't feel anything for him. And I, I think that we need to respect women who feel that way and men. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so 6.5 out of 10, uh, close to yours. Yeah. Very close. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I think that the refrain is super solid, but other aspects of the song kind of don't live up to the standards set by the refrain. And so I knock it down a bit, but, um, Certainly not, certainly not a bad one. Not the worst thing in the world. 
I think that's I think that's a very fair assessment of the song. Great. All right. Very much on the same page. We've been pretty consistent these past couple songs. We have. I yeah. feel like there were a few polarizing songs on her debut album. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we really like kind of this fearless has been pretty much we've we've been feeling very similar on a lot of the songs on fearless so so good i think it's a testament to the songs themselves i i think think it's less about our personalities and more about the fact that they're just undeniably good songs all right so we're moving on to track 11 oh forever and always so exciting can i just real quick interjection here Uh um I was a bridesmaid in a friend's wedding back in 2018. And um, one of their like gifts, or maybe it was 2017. I think it was 2017. Anyway, um, the gift that they gave to everybody in the bridal party were these little wine glasses. And it said (laughs) their names and their anniversary, which obviously I don't look at the anniversary enough to know the year. (laughs) but it says forever and always on it. And every single time I look at that wine glass, I think about this song and I'm like, okay, clearly these people are not Taylor Swift fans because this is like one of her most iconic breakup songs. (laughs) That's all I think of every time I look at this little wedding glass from the uh, wine glass from their wedding. Um, I'm just, and I, you know, there's, there's no point in telling them. No. You should have chosen a different phrase for your wine glass. <laughs> you should have been like every Swifty at your wedding couldn't believe the negligence. How dare you? That's so funny. Was that Vanessa? Anyway, was it, it, it was. Yeah. It was Vanessa. <laughs> That's so cute. I remember that because I remember being really shocked. So this is a sidebar for people listening. They'll have no idea who this is or what we're talking about. But yeah. This is a, a young lady who's very, very lovely and who we worked with for a while. And she comes across as the kind of person who would love Taylor Swift. And she did yeah. not like Taylor Swift at all. And I remember being shocked. I was like, oh, what? Like you just give off Swifty vibes. And she's Wait, not a Taylor Swift fan. I don't remember us talking to Vanessa about Taylor Swift. Oh, very briefly. It was, I only overlapped with her at our place of work at the time for like maybe a couple weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, we had one conversation and at the time I didn't like Taylor Swift either. And we, and she was like, yeah, I just, oh, she just seems, I think she said something like, she just seems kind of like fake to me. I don't know. I just feel like everything is so curated. Like, I don't, I don't believe her. And I was like, I get that. But it was because I wasn't paying enough attention. I wasn't you know, it's it's possible Vanessa has changed her mind since then. Maybe we should check in with her. <laughs> should. I actually, despite the fact that I was in her wedding, haven't talked to her in a long time. Oh, um, that'll happen though, yeah. isn't it? Adult friends, you know, adult friendships come and go. Yeah, like the wind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not forever and always. Not forever and always. <laughs> um, would you like to start us off by doing the chart performance? Sure. So. Right. um this song was written alone by Taylor Swift. The origin story of this song is one of my favorites, which Carly will get to momentarily. But the fact that she wrote it alone is because there was no time for her to write it with anybody else. <laughs> um, the 2008 version was produced by Taylor Swift and Nathan Chapman, and Taylor's version was produced by Taylor Swift and Christopher Rao. The hidden message was, if you play these games, we're both going to lose. <laughs> D-R-A-M-A. 
snap at the end of that sentence. <laughs> um, in 2008, the, uh, the 2008 version um, peaked on the Canadian Hot 100 at 37 and spent two weeks on that chart. On the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, it peaked at 34 and spent three weeks on the chart. The U.S. country digital song sales for Billboard, it peaked at 44. And in July 2018, the RIAA certified the song Platinum, which is 1 million units, both sales and streaming, which I'm honestly a little surprised that it took it that long to get to Platinum, given how, though this was not a single, this was a big one in her catalog. I feel yeah. like for, I think if you're a Swifty, this is one of her big songs. Yeah. And it's very, and, and, and it obviously got a lot of, well, it had a lot of notoriety because of who it was about and all that stuff, which, which we'll get into. So yeah, that is surprising. Yes. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor's version peaked at 45 in Australia at 37 in Canada and at 41 on the billboard global 200. Um, in Singapore, it peaked at 28, which is interesting. Singapore right? was a fan of this song. Um, in the UK, it peaked at 83. And the US Billboard Hot 100, it peaked at 65. And on the US Hot Country songs of Billboard, it peaked at 12, which 12 for a 13-year-old re-recorded song is, I think, impressive. Right? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I think it, I think that speaks to how this stands in the fandom's eyes. I think that shows you that even though this was not a single, if you were a fan of Taylor Swift, you knew this song and you were listening to it when Taylor's version came out. Mm -hmm. Um, For the critical reception, um, it didn't receive tons of praise, but it also wasn't really highly criticized. Um, Critics called it catchy, but generic, which... um, I'm just going to go out there and disagree with, I, I would like to see the things that it's compared to and being called generic for that reason, because I feel like these lyrics are very distinctly Taylor. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I agree. I think that they are very distinctly Taylor. And I think that they're, I think what made the song stand out for me amongst other pop breakup songs from the time is that is that she paints such a clear picture of the um, the inconsistency in the relationship and, and mm-hmm. the whiplash that she got from someone who said forever and then mm-hmm. one day just snapped and completely changed. The, the imagery that she kind of paints around what that whiplash was like and what that change was like, it feels really, mm. really unique. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the only, the only way I can think to sort of justify what they're saying or try to understand it is, is if they're calling it generic, maybe they're referring just to it as a breakup song in general um, and being like, ah, it's another, another song about, you know, a guy like leaving her. That's not exciting. Uh, But it's like, well, almost every song in existence is about love in some form. So why don't you listen a little closer? Because it's, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that that was kind of a lazy way to review the song. Yeah. Um, Thank you for agreeing with me. (laughs) Um, Jennifer Keshin, Keshin, I'm not really sure how to pronounce her last name, uh, 
Oh, when she's got a second last name, Armstrong. Uh, she wrote oh, yeah. for Billboard. Jennifer, something or another, writing for Billboard. We'll call her <laughs> Jennifer that, A. Jennifer K.A. or Jennifer A. <laughs> Jennifer K.A., not to be confused with Jennifer Aniston, um, wrote for Billboard and said that her that Taylor's songwriting on Forever and Always set a precedent to her subsequent songs about revenge and contempt for ex-lovers. I would agree with that. I agree. And um, I I love to see somebody recognizing Taylor's talent for writing about revenge and contempt. <laughs> no one likes a mad woman, but I love mad Taylor. <laughs> yes. um, Nate Jones of Vulture and Hazel Sills of Pitchfork um, agreed and found Joe Jonas, the Joe Jonas inspired forever and always introduced Taylor's trademark songwriting about failed romance and celebrity. Um, Hazel said, Taylor likes to give a play-by-play stacking minute summaries of a moment on top of each other. Like she's storyboard storyboarding the perfect montage out of an indelible memory, which is a great way to describe what she's doing. Um, though I, do you feel like the way that she said Taylor likes to give a play-by-play? Do you think that's a little condescending? Hmm. Um, I guess it would depend on the rest of the, the context of the review. If I remember correctly, which it's possible that I don't, because again, this all was thrown together very quickly. I think in general, her review was fairly positive. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that that was meant to be I don't think that that was meant to be a negative. I think it was more just like a description of how, of the song structure that she likes, where she goes, where she uh, kind of a commentary on how she really dives into specifics and that that's Mm -hmm. what makes her songwriting unique. But it is, it is possible that in the context of that particular song review, she was saying in a way, like if she was like, and I think that there's too much detail, she's the John Steinbeck of songwriting. Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't remember, but uh, not necessarily because I do think that Hazel's review was pretty positive, I think. And you know what? It is, it's a fair commentary. Um, I think I'm just a little bit sensitive. And if somebody described something that I did as giving a play-by-play, I would feel like I was being uh, condescended to a little bit, but that doesn't, that could just be me being overly sensitive. So, (laughs) Um, and then in another review for Pitchfork in 2021, so speaking about Taylor's version, Danny Bloom selected Forever and Always as the best song on Fearless, highlighting the tumultuous emotions in Taylor's vocals. So I think that is kind of a bold choice to make Danny Bloom. I don't know that I would call this the best song on Peerless. I would agree with you. I wouldn't call it the best one, but I will say, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a strong enough song that I respect somebody who thinks this is the best one. I, I wouldn't doubt that they have good reasons and Mm -hmm. can back up their argument. Um, It's a bold choice and not one that I agree with, but I kind of love it. I'm like, tell me more, Danny. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Danny, please write in. (laughs) Um, do you want to go into the the infamous backstory behind Forever and Always? Absolutely. So during promotion of Fearless, the album, Taylor Swift just unashamedly and repeatedly confirmed that Forever and Always was about her breakup with Joe Jonas. <laughs> uh, 
in uh, notoriously on the Ella DeGeneres show, um, she described Joe as the boy who broke up with me over the phone in 25 seconds when I was 18. Um, and it is for anyone who, you know, hasn't seen that full interview or hasn't read a lot about um, the fearless promo and how many times she just straight up said the song is about him. Uh, go ahead and dive into it. It's great stuff. And she does explicitly say it on in that Ellen interview Ellen says you know is are any of your breakup songs on fearless about this guy and she puts a picture of Joe Jonas up on the screen and Taylor's like yeah there's one there's one song on the album that's about him and Ellen says what's the song called and she says it's called forever and always (laughs) so we know without a shadow of a doubt that this song is about Joe Jonas which is I mean it's kind of fun because there's so many songs that are speculated to be about certain people. Mm -hmm. And whenever we get to the ones where we know because Taylor just straight up said it, Mm -hmm. it always does feel a little bit satisfying. You're like, ah, yes, (laughs) we get to roast him in real time. (laughs) I do think that this is something that she, I think there's a reason why the later albums, she's a little bit a little bit more demure about who the songs are about and not specifically saying their names because I think probably listen if you're like 18 years old and you tell all of your friends that some guy dumped you on over the phone in 25 seconds then like yeah like that's a normal thing to want to do to be like you all should hate him and when you're 18 and you're not famous then it's fine but if you're on a national stage and an international stage. I mean, look at Singapore. Um, <laughs> they, and, and your boyfriend is too. And now he's going to start getting hounded by like millions and millions of people whenever he goes anywhere yeah. because of the song that you wrote about him and that you specifically said was about him. Um, that's a little bit unfair even though it was a shitty way for him to break up with her. Yeah, it, I completely agree. And I really appreciate um, that uh, in 2019, when, when she was on the press tour for Lover, she yeah. actually did call out how, <laughs> how immature <laughs> it was of her to call out Joe Jonas like that on Ellen. And it was hysterical. Yeah. I love that. Um, I mean, growth. We, we see growth. We do. Oh. I'm going to pause one second here because I feel a coughing spell coming on. Okay. Pause momentarily and I'm going to mute my mic so that you don't have to suffer through this with me. (laughs) I'm just going to talk while Carly's coughing to to fill the space so it's not just complete silence here. (laughs) All right. I think it's passed. You good? Just, yeah, I I think I'm good. I think I got, I was trying so hard to hydrate and then I think it went down the wrong pipe. Oh, um, you hate that? I know it's so unfair. I shouldn't be punished for hydrating. It seems <laughs> like a design flaw in our bodies that those two things are close enough to each other that it's easy to almost choke. I know, but right? anyway, ridiculous. Um, so uh, j- just kind of a, a couple more fun tidbits about you know the origin, meaning, and and the Joe Jonas debacle here. Um, in addition to uh, her comments on the Ellen Show. Uh, In an interview with Rolling Stone, Taylor Swift had described the fallout of her relationship with Joe Jonas as, quote, really dramatic and crazy. Um, And she said that she, quote, 
needed to address it through her music. And speaking about the recording, she said, this song starts with this pretty melody that's easy to sing along with. And then in the end, I'm basically screaming it because I'm so mad. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And I appreciate that because, you know, it's like, girl, if you're mad, go off. And just like you said, you know, if you're an 18 year old and you, you know, you know, start venting to your friends or you like yell about it at a slumber party, no one's going to care. But of course, because she's on a national stage, it has larger repercussions, but now it's kind of charming to see that, well, she was growing up too. And who's to tell her how she is or isn't allowed to grow up unlike any other kid. Um, But so that was kind of cute. Now, this I is- also think, mm-hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no, you go right ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I think it was a little bit of like her not, I in her defense, did she know how big she was back then? Did she mm. know how dedicated her fans were that they would like go on attack on Joe Jonas because she wrote the song about him? I think this maybe was like a little bit of a learning curve in her stardom of like yeah. understanding that she says something and it's going to have an impact because people, there are a lot of people who really, really like her. So yeah, I feel like there's, there's an immaturity level to it. And I also feel like there's a little bit of a naivety to it of like, Mm -hmm. just not understanding how much of an impact her words had at the time. Yeah. So that's certainly a lesson that she learned from. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Something that, um, that I think is just such an eye roll moment though, is uh, how Joe Jonas had commented on it. Did you see Ugh. that? He said, so in 2009, um, in, uh, what was it in? It was in an issue of Seventeen Magazine. Joe Jonas you know, was asked about the song and uh, he addressed it. And he, his, his exact quote about how he felt about Forever and Always is, quote, it's flattering. It's always nice to hear their side of the story. Uh. That's like, you know, you know how sometimes a celebrity says something and you think, ah, yes, like you are a media trained individual and your media training is shining through. Yes. This, this is, this is like that, but mm-hmm. to the point where it is so it's, it's just completely, completely and entirely manufactured how there's not even an ounce of like an honest reaction in it. Yeah. Like there's no way a teenage boy, well, I don't know. He might've been in his early twenties, but there's no way a guy that young gets blasted on a national stage and has this song put out about him and everyone is coming at him and he's sitting at home, you know, hanging out with his brothers, just like, oh, I'm so flattered. Yeah, no, no, and we know that he wasn't flattered by it because he wrote a song about her afterwards. Yeah, and and then then she wrote another song back about that. Like, I think his song was called "Much Better" because that's where the line from "Better Than Revenge" came from. Where right, right, because she's so much better. Um, I. (laughs) Obviously, it bothered him, and honestly, like I can read this in a condescending way of yeah of him being like oh I'm just like a nice guy and like this is flattering it's like shut up I mean I know that's what your publicist told you to say but like we all know that that's not the truth no and at the same time I'm not I'm certainly to to any Joe Jonas fans 
um, I, I'm actually I'm certainly not saying like, oh, like how dare he? He should have he should yeah. have acted differently. No, yeah. of course not. It's Seventeen Magazine. He is now on yeah. a national platform, and he's probably trying to put this shit to bed. And I don't True. blame him because it's super embarrassing and super yeah. annoying. Um, so it's but it's just funny. Again, we're we're over ten years away from it now, and looking back mm-hmm. on how they both handled it in completely just silly and and somewhat immature ways because they were young is kind of hilarious it's just it's just good fun now (laughs) um and then of course uh uh as a final fun fact uh regarding the background and origin of the song um you know forever and always was uh, the last song that taylor wrote for fearless um because you know the album was already pretty much ready to be released um, whenever all of this was going down and the inspiration struck her and she had the urge to write this, you know, song about this relationship. And so there was quite a time crunch there at the end, but she pleaded with Scott Borchetta to include it on the album one day before the track list was finalized. Um, and she really, really wanted uh, to to have the story told on Fearless. And uh, I guess Scott said yes, because it made it on the album. <laughs> I love that part of the lore where it was like, it almost didn't make it on the album because it was so late in the game and Mm -hmm. she had to like beg for it. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Any story about her really advocating for a song's inclusion on an album is always so charming. And and then I feel like we as fans maybe have a little bit extra emotional investment in that song because we know it was important to her. Um, That's always super cool. Yeah. Um, all right, so there's no music video for this uh, song. There are a bunch of live performances of it. Um, again, this was all slapdashed together at the last minute. Are you familiar with any of these? Have you ever seen any that you particularly like? Um, I mean, my favorite is from the Fearless tour. Yeah. I mean, that was absolutely iconic. Should we start with that one? For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me go down my list here and see if I can jog my memory. Oh yeah. That, that one is pretty great. Do you want to describe kind of the setup and the, yes. the drama that, that's around that performance and how great it is? Oh, she's oh such I would a, love to. Her, her <laughs> performance commitment. When she says, I want to do a bit around this song. I want to yeah. make it a performance. She goes 150%. Yeah. You tell she us. So does. I love this. Um, so it starts where she had like, she had the set that was built. The basic structure was the castle set for when she would do love story. So there was like the raised part of the stage where um, it was like significantly higher than, than the lower part of the stage. And up there on one of like, what would have been the turrets of the castle. She had these two um, armchairs facing one another and she's sitting in the one. Some, I think just one of her backup dancers is sitting in the other and she's sitting there and the stage is kind of dark and a video plays on the screen. And it's a, a real clip from an interview with the Today Show host Hoda. And she Hoda says, so um, why do you think men are going to date you if you're just going to write mean songs about them? Which I'm sure Hoda regrets asking that now. I hope she does, because I think that's a super unfair question to ask. Um but Taylor in this video goes, well, if they don't want me to write mean songs about them, then they shouldn't do bad things to me. And 
so then like the screen goes off and it goes to her. So it looks like she's sitting there on the stage with Hoda in their little armchairs that she has set up and she gets up and she starts singing. And at one point of the song, she like throws the chair from that upper part of the stage onto the lower part. And then she's like, just, I mean, like absolutely manic performing this, like shaking her head and she gets down whenever the bridge comes around, she gets down on the ground and she's singing that backup baby backup. And she like really draws it out for the, um, for the tour performance and her fans are reaching up to hold her hand, which in her commentary, she was like, it's so sweet. They want to comfort me. And it's like, no girl, they want to touch you because you're a celebrity and they're obsessed with you. <laughs> um, and then she's just like the little, like, like manic strut that she does at the end where she's like waving her arms around kind of, and like just jerking around is, I mean, I'm just going to say it. She looks insane, (laughs) but it's like, I don't know. She was just really feeling it. was feeling it. Um, I think it's one of her most iconic performances of any song she's ever done. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It has to be up there in the top five of uh, just overall production value and perform per- performance. Yeah, it is exceptional. Um, the oh, I mean, there's there's a number of live performances um, of note. You know, there's one on Saturday Night Live. There was one from very early in her career. You know, the New Year's Rock and Eve, where she combined it with a medley, in a medley with Picture to Burn, and um, and I think at least one other song. Oh love story and change um the only other one I'll call out before we get to our reviews just because I feel like I have to now after our last episode is that iconic iconic red tour acoustic cover she nailed like once again nailed it 10 out of 10 she played this song with just the guitar on the b stage with the red pants and the striped shirt and (laughs) to no one's surprise it was chef's kiss perfect i feel like in an ideal world for you um there would be a whole tour of just her being on the b stage from the red tour <laughs> with the outfit get the and same the, outfit the back. ponytail she needs yeah. to wear the ponytail the ponytail no band just no her band. and her guitar but that's the whole concert <laughs> real talk though uh, just a quick just a quick interlude here I, I'm so excited for when the day comes that you and I finally get to go see her live. Um, right. I know it'll be amazing. I know we'll have a great time and I know we'll be two out of 80 some thousand people probably at Mm -hmm. Heinz field. Um, and I just wish with all my heart that there was some opportunity we would have to be able to see her in like a theater, like the Troubadour with like a couple hundred people. And that's it. Um, and, and I, I, my heart breaks a little bit thinking that I'll never get that, but it's okay. I'll, I'll get over it. But, you know, all I can think is that maybe when she's like really old, she'll be considered like an oldie artist and we'll get that chance. <laughs> Hell yes. I'll take know. it. I'll take I it. Mean, uh, then again, Mick Jagger sold out Heinz stadium this like True. last summer. So, uh, and that guy's, that guy's pretty old, but anyway oh all right time for reviews would you like to go first again sure um what if we start with our 
history with those songs. Oh, you and I. great idea. Yes. I love yeah. it. So I don't know how many details you're comfortable giving about this. So what, do you want to kick off this part of the Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll kick it off. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's a, we are well removed from this. Okay. So I feel, I feel pretty comfortable talking openly about it. I'll just avoid names to be nice. Sure. Um, but, but way back when, so now like six, some years ago, uh, when Jenna and I worked uh, at the same place here in Pittsburgh, we were, we were coworkers for about a year of our lives. And that's how we met. Um, mm. At the time I was uh, engaged to uh, a guy that I'd met in college and we had been dating for two years. We got engaged after two years and we were engaged for a year. And then I broke off the engagement and it was absolutely horrible. I mean, it was just the most heartbreaking thing that ever happened. And there were a lot of layers to it. There was a lot going on um, that was causing me to have, to feel severe unhappiness and to feel very um, unsafe and un- unloved in that relationship, and which is why I left. But notably, it can kind of all be summed up in this idea that he and I were, we felt perfect for each other for two years and I never doubted anything. And, and that's why I always call BS when people say, when you know, you know, mm. I'm like, well, yes and no, because I knew with him and it still ended up being wrong and it still ended mm. up falling apart. So it, it's exactly what she described in the song forever and always, which is, you know, one minute it was perfect. And now you're halfway out the door. That, mm-hmm. that, that was it. It was just like one day I woke up and his eyes were empty and it, he didn't feel like himself and he wasn't being kind to me. He wasn't, he was like, he used to get along with my family and it was like, we would go to spend time with them and he wouldn't even look any of them in the eye. He was ignoring them. It was just like, he was completely detached and uninvested in the relationship. And it, it truly felt like lightning. It was just like someone flipped a switch and mm-hmm. it was so weird. And I felt really isolated because I felt like I couldn't um, talk about it with anybody because it didn't match the relationship that they were all familiar with. Everyone I was close to knew, oh, they're perfect for each other. Like they're soulmates. Mm. And I'm like, no, not anymore. And I can't explain why. And yeah. yeah. And so it was horrible. And then I, and Jenna was with me all through this, the end of it, you know I mean? It was like those last few weeks of the relationship when I decided, well, if I'm not, if I feel like this, I need to leave because I care about myself too much to marry a guy who's treating me like this. And it was absolutely terrible. Um, But it was so amazing because Jenna was such a source of comfort in so many ways. But then you had said the one day, I know you don't like Taylor Swift, Carly, but (laughs) you're like, I just feel like with everything you're going through, there's this one song that you might want to listen to because I really feel like it is it matches so well everything you've described you're experiencing with this person and it might just like you know make you feel make you feel seen kind of and I was like okay yeah like I'll listen to it and she said it's called forever and always it's on the album fearless and I like went home one day after work and listened to it and I don't remember if I texted you or if it was just that I waited until work next day but I distinctly remember talking to you about it and saying I can't believe how exact the details are and how it feels like she heard my story from me and then wrote about it. It was like to a T what I was going through with this guy. And, um, and you were just like, that's the power of Taylor Swift. Like that's, that's it. Like she just, 
she gets it and, and like and that's why so many people love her and I in that moment I really I I was fully willing to admit that I thought it was a fabulous song and that it really hit the nail on the head and it ever since has remained quite a special song to me so thank you for introducing me to it among the numerous ways that you kept me from jumping off the metaphorical cliff during that very very sad time in my life (laughs) oh it was my pleasure obviously (laughs) um I feel like that experience is kind of when you and I went from just being like people who are friendly at work to like actually being friends yes yes absolutely Um, I mean, you don't, you don't go through something like that or watch somebody go through something like that yeah. and not come out of it without being a little bit closer to that person. Yeah. So I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm glad that we're still friends and that now we're Dude. talking about Taylor Swift together. No, right. Right. Well, it is. It's like hindsight's 2020. You see that you have these, t- these experiences that suck. And then you, with a little bit of distance, you're able to see all the good things that came out of them. And I think that so many, I mean, literally so many good things came out of that one. My, my freedom yeah. <laughs> for the next yeah. couple of years, the ability to actually go out and find someone who was like the right person for me. Um, yeah. you know, uh, it, but it took a while, but yeah, that was a, that was a dark time, uh, but necessary for growth, right. It all comes oh, yeah. back to growth. Yeah. So, and, you know, I think it's interesting that she wrote this song about somebody she dated for, I think they dated for, I don't know, like a couple months? two or three months. It was yeah. really short, their relationship. They certainly were not engaged. Um, and yet the way that she wrote was still relatable to you yeah. for someone who had been in a relationship for two years and then got engaged. And I don't, how long were you engaged? We were engaged for just about a year. I think we broke up. Yeah. Yeah. So we were together for three years total and we broke up. I want to say I left him like a couple weeks before the anniversary of the engagement. So maybe wow. it was like a year and it was like 11 months, maybe and or 11 and a half months or something. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and, and yet the feelings were so similar that even back yeah. then when you weren't like crazy about Taylor, you were like, wow, this, this sounds like I just told her my story and she wrote a song about it. Yeah. That's straight up. That's crazy. It's, she's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the story. And uh, I'm so glad that we were able to talk to, to put it in the time capsule of the podcast because it is yes. a very special story in our history. And I'm so happy that six years later, here we are and, oh, you're doing so much better. You've really <laughs> glowed up. And now we can just enjoy the song just for the sake of enjoying the song. Yes. Um, so with that being said, obviously, I think I'm a little bit biased about this song. I I mean, my history with the song predates my history with you, but mm-hmm. it definitely, that adds a layer of, um, of, I don't know, special happy feelings to this song for me. Um, Angry Taylor is my favorite. So that's, there's no surprise that I'm a fan of this song. Um, the, the line that says, you looked me in the eye and told me you loved me were you just kidding is one of my favorite moments in all of Taylor Swift's lyrics. I think that it just like slaps you across the face. You're so not expecting it kind of like she wasn't expecting to get broken up with. And it's, it's funny. It's sharp. It's like, Ooh, she got you there. Um, huge fan of that line. Um, 
similar to the way that the way I loved you had kind of a, a breathless or a frantic feeling this, this song has that as well, especially with like the ways that the two lines that stick out to me are now you're halfway out the door and uh, you feel so low. You can't feel nothing at all that the way that that like runs together and like the, some of those words are two words. They feel like they're one word um, totally feels like, you know, that, that like really horrible state you get into when you've like cried for a long time where you're like, <laughs> like <laughs> taking like quick little breaths. That's what that feels like to me. And probably she did a lot of that kind of crying whenever probably. this happened. Oh, um, <laughs> I also think, I mean, man, she's got some real zingers in this song. Like, did I say something way too honest? Made you run and hide like a scared little boy. <laughs> oh, so good though. <laughs> um, I like the way her voice goes up when she says, I looked into your eyes. Yes. Um, I think that's, there are some things that's just like, I don't, I can't explain why, but it, it really adds something to have that. I looked into your eyes. Um, apologies for the bad singing that's happening on this episode. <laughs> We'll just put out a general apology for that in general, just for, just for this podcast for both of us. Cause I know too, sometimes I'm like, you know, that part where she goes and then I try to do it. And I sound like a coyote dying on the side of the road. <laughs> we are not musicians no, for a reason. No, yeah. Um, Leave it to Taylor. <laughs> I, I like the way that the instrumentation cuts out when she goes, so here's to everything. And then the yes. instrumentation cuts out coming down to nothing. So good. Um, also the same idea of the way that her voice goes up with here's to silence that cuts me to the core. Where is this going? It's just like, she puts so much anger into this song and you can just like totally feel it. I will say if I have a critique on Taylor's version versus the original version, Mm -hmm. I do think she sounded like she meant it more on the original version. I feel like, I mean, Given the fact that she wrote this and recorded this like almost overnight, she was definitely in the anger still when she first recorded it. And now, God bless, she's quite happy. She's moved on. She's past this. And I think she's got some grit to her voice in Taylor's version, but it just does not feel like it has the same exact punch to me that the original one did. So I miss that just a little bit. Um, specifically the, were you just kidding line? I felt like had more of a slap to it in the original. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I mean, this sort of goes a little bit without saying, because this was such a last minute addition to fearless, but I totally think this would have fit on speak now. Um, we talked in one of our recent episodes about how many angry songs she has on speak now that are just like real, like sick burn songs. And I think this fits right in with mean and better than revenge and like those types of songs. Um, but overall it's a 10 out of 10 for me. I'm a big fan of this song. Yes. That was (laughs) such a solid review. Honestly, my, mine is going to be pretty short because I'm pretty much going to regurgitate a lot of what you just said. (laughs) Please. It's worth it. Um, yeah, the song is iconic. It's just like capital I iconic. (laughs) <laughs> music musically i think it is a perfectly structured pop song there's nothing wrong with it it is m- musically 
that slaps in every way it can slap. It has such a good beat, has so much momentum. I love the build to the big chorus, like the breathless big chorus where she's just mm-hmm. spilling her guts. Um, and also love the little moments where the music drops out, like you talked about with here's to everything coming down to nothing and silence that cuts me to the core. Uh, some of my favorite lyrics are, yes, the, the moment of were you just kidding? That transition is so good. And um, I will talk about this when we talk about the piano version. Um, but it is really, um, I love that that's, that line sounds like almost funny in this version. It's kind of makes you laugh because it comes out of nowhere and it is such an, like, it's so sassy and snarky. And then translating to the piano version, which again, talk about later, um, it is, I remember seeing that there was an acoustic version of this and thinking that line's going to sound so jarring, Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't, it actually sounds sad like it yeah and it is kind of like funny but in sort of that humorless way of like like yeah okay well were you just kidding because here's what's going on now and it's like oh god and she's just magical I don't know how she does it um I love the I love the lyric because one second it was perfect now you're halfway out the door and Mm -hmm. I can't say this with certainty um but I'm pretty sure that if um, I'm pretty sure that when I heard the song for the first time, that was probably the moment where I, w- I knew it was going to be a perfect representation of what I was going through. I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Um, I, I love that um, part of the, the refrain where she says, and I stare at the phone, he still hasn't called. And then you feel so low, you can't feel nothing at all. The mm-hmm how universal is that feeling? Stare at the phone. He still hasn't called. And at the time, probably one of the reasons that probably something that triggered you to tell me about the song was I had been talking to you a lot about how I was challenging myself to never be the one to reach out first when, Mm -hmm. when this was going on, because he owed, let's be real. Like he owed me about a dozen more apologies than I owed him for very specific things that I don't need to enumerate now because who's counting? It was six years ago. Um, (laughs) But there were, there were things I wanted to talk about, but I didn't feel comfortable doing it until he showed me that he cared enough to address them. And if I was reaching out to him, then it was always me doing all the work. And so I would sit there and wait and check my phone, you know, every night and all through the day and look, and there would be nothing. And I'd be like, cause he doesn't care. Um, and yeah, I think lots of people can relate to that. It sucks. Yeah. Um, and you, t- you addressed this for me, so I don't even need to go into it, but I also think it's amazing um, moving away from lyrics and just talking once again about the song in general, how, she managed to capture the feelings of a long-term relationship that resulted in an engagement and then a broken engagement in a song that she wrote about a relationship that was really young and fairly short. Um, And that just not only speaks to her talent as a songwriter, but how deeply she feels things as a person. And Mm -hmm. I um, I just respect anybody who's that in touch with their feelings because I think more people need to be like that. Now, I might be willing to... I'm going to go to my rating and I might be willing to budge on this a little bit and, and, and move it up higher, but I'll tell you why I deducted a point and a half. Okay. <laughs> You're going to laugh at me. It's ridiculous, but I feel strongly about it. I don't like one. There's one lyric in this song that feels 
sort of clunky and kind of nonsensical to me. Do you have any guess of what it is? Okay, wait, let me think for a second. <laughs> um, no, no, tell me. So it's the lyric, it rains in your bedroom. Oh. What? What does that mean? What? No, it doesn't. It doesn't rain in anyone's bedroom. And whose bedroom? His bedroom or her bedroom? Like what? Okay. What? Yeah, okay, so here's... <laughs> I'll try, I'll try to calmly talk about this, please. (laughs) I feel, so I hear the lyric and my brain immediately goes down a spiral. It it is, is the lyric, it rains in your bedroom meant to be like a statement about how you, you, the ambiguous you feel when you're going through what she's going through. Like, Mm -hmm. like, it's like when you're in your bedroom, sad it feels like it's raining in there like but no what that's still that doesn't make any sense and then or because she says you throughout the song Mm -hmm. referring to you joe jonas right so it wouldn't really make sense for her to to sit to use the word you to reference other people going through what she's going through or herself because that would be really inconsistent with the rest of the song so if we're going if we're going to assume that she is consistent we're going to say, okay, it rains in Joe Jonas's bedroom. Does it really? Why? How did his window, is his window broken? Like what? <laughs> like, or if it's symbolism, why is it raining in the guy's bed? Why is it raining in his bedroom? He's the one who doesn't have any feelings at all and has no remorse at all. So mm-hmm. it's certainly not raining in his bedroom if rain symbolizes sadness and remorse. So you can see where the dilemma has occurred in my brain. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. Um, I have a counterpoint to make. I'd love it because I'd love to budge this up to a nine if I can, but right now it's at an eight and a half because of raining in bedrooms. So, okay. (laughs) So that line is immediately followed by the, you feel so low, you can't feel nothing at all. So in that line, I, I think she is referring to herself as the you that's feeling so low. She can't feel nothing at all. Um, and since that immediately precedes, or, or I guess comes after the, um, it rains in your bedroom, everything is wrong. Yeah. The way I was, I always kind of looked at it was like, um, it's, she feels so sad that she feels like she's standing in the rain, no matter where she is, even if she's in her bedroom, which uh-huh. is normally a place of comfort. Now that is me making a little bit of a reach because there's not enough context to, I agree with you that it, I think it, it needed a little bit more work or we needed a little bit more context as to why she was saying it rains in the bedroom. Um, but because it's like, it rains in your bedroom, everything is wrong. It rains when you're here and it rains when you're gone. Um, feels to me like like it's just sadness all the time, whether you're here and you're talking to me and you're being mean to me, it's raining when I'm alone in my bedroom and you're not with me, it's raining. It's everything is wrong. And I'm just, I'm inconsolable. That's, that's kind of what I, does that sway you at all? (laughs) You know what? I, I think that was a very well-crafted, uh, counterpoint. I, uh, I I fully, uh, can, can say, uh, that I, um, 
I can certainly acknowledge that uh, you, you're right. You is not used exclusively to describe him throughout the song mm-hmm. point being made through. And then you feel so low, you do, you can't feel anything at all. So I can, I can take that back for sure. I think that it does make sense. And I, based on how you framed it, I can say that's, I, I could agree. That's probably what she was trying to do was, was summarize the inconsolability. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I just think that it was summed up in the phrase, it rains when you're here and it rains when you're gone. It was already adequately summed up there. And so if she could have changed the lead up line to that, Mm -hmm. to something that added to it or that it it probably would have worked better, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, because I freaking love this song so much. (laughs) I am going to go ahead and do something unprecedented. We're going to give this an 8.75 out of 10. <laughs> I, I have stayed, I have stayed at the 0.5s. I had say that the, the, the 0.5s and the zeros, whole numbers or, or halves. We haven't gone into the, in, <laughs> we haven't gone into more complex decimals, <laughs> but because this song is perfect in every way, except I still can't really get past that. That lyric is, it just could have done a little, just a little fine tuning, just a little bit. I'm giving this song an 8.75 out of 10. Well, I'm glad it earned back a quarter of a point. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Moving on. (laughs) Um, So so I think it makes sense for us to talk about the piano version while we're talking about the regular version rather than waiting for it to appear in the track order. Absolutely. Um, So how do you want to do this? Do you want me to go through like the, the credits at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you kick us off? Okay. Um, so obviously it was still written by Taylor Swift. Um, and the production credits are the same as well. 2008, it's Taylor and Nathan and Taylor's version. It's Taylor and Christopher. Mm -hmm. The hidden message says still miss who I thought he was, which I felt like added a good bit to the, the way that I interpret this song. Definitely. Um, And I really appreciated that this one had a different hidden message. Part of me wasn't sure if it would, when I was looking for it, I was like, Oh, it will it. And yeah, I love that. She was, it was just a new perspective. And I feel like it, it fits this hidden message fits this production of the song. Yes. Um, critical reception wise. Um, I am struggling to speak tonight. I don't know why. Um, it's been a long day. <laughs> um, anyhow, in a piece on gigwise.com, writer Kelsey Barnes says that the piano version, uh, this is her quote, if the original country pop version was the knee-jerk reaction to having one's heart broken, it's the piano-driven stripped-down counterpart is when the dust settles and you slowly come to grips with the loss of someone you loved, which I agree. That is really well said. Isn't Kelsey. it? Yeah. And then the yeah. rest of this quote is also is also from Kelsey's same piece. And I think you're going to love it. It's great. Oh, great. Um, even with the 13 years between the original and Taylor's re-recording, Forever and Always Piano Version is one of the most poignant, mature songs on the album, serving as a reminder that love is not always knights in shining armor. Fearless charts the journey of a naive teenage Swift, someone who was dramatic as every teen is, and understanding what re- love really is. The two versions are two sides of the same coin. The original showcases her snarky, tongue-in-cheek, instantaneous reaction to a breakup, whereas the piano serves as a reminder that sometimes we must sit with our pain rather than brush it off. Um, 
Very well said, Kelsey. Mm -hmm. I have no notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, sing it, Kelsey. You get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you like me to give a little bit of the background on this piece? Sure. So um, the, the piano version of forever and always is included on, or was included originally on the track list for fearless, the platinum edition, which was released on October 26, 2009. So it came out, you know, several months to, but I guess almost a year after the, um, after the original. And during an interview with iTunes uh, from 2009, Taylor Swift said that the new rendition, the piano version of this song, is one of her favorites on the platinum, the platinum edition of the album. Um, she said, quote, there's a version of my song Forever and Always that's just piano and cello. It's a song on the record that I feel has a lot of different sides and it has a lot of different emotions all poured into one song. And so this version of the song really addresses the sad parts of that song. On the record, the way it is, it's produced and it seems angry and frustrated and confused. But this version of the song is just really sad. Um, and isn't that amazing that even as such a young artist, she had such an eye for nuance and that she, mm-hmm. she and not only nuance in music, but nuance in relationships. And I think this is where people fail to give her a lot of credit. Like if, right, like if a lot of her biggest critics were to actually dig up interviews like this and listen to what she had to say about her music, I think they would realize that she's not like a petulant child who's just writing a breakup song every time she gets her heart broken to be petty. Like that's, that's part of it. And that is, I think perfectly okay, because that's what all songwriters do. And Mm -hmm. she's a teenager, right? But to also then have the wherewithal to say like, yeah, I was really mad, but I'm also, I was also really sad and I'm still sad. And this song, Mm -hmm. this version represents that emotion um, is so, so cool. So cool. It makes me wonder if she went through her discography and chose a handful of other songs to give a different treatment. Mm. What, what other versions of songs would we get? And would it change our perspective on them? Because it feels like there's probably quite a few in her collection that she could redo in a different way that would give it like a new meaning like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, I'll have to stew on that. Cause I feel like that, that would be an interesting discussion in and of itself. We should just have like a fun bonus episode where maybe we prep by saying we're going to each pick five songs. We'd love to hear a a re a different version of, and then explain Mm -hmm. what kind of, what it would sound like, like what our fantasy, what our like fantasy re-recording yeah. of it would sound like. That'd be fun. I can give you an example that's already been done. Oh, um, that we weren't going to get to for a while, mm-hmm. but it's very relevant to this conversation. Um, we are never ever getting back together. <gasps> the rock version, yeah, in 1989, yes. uh, in the 1989 world tour. Oh my god, I, <laughs> I am very disappointed that the rock version did not make it to red Taylor's version. Cause I love that. And I don't know if it's necessarily, it gives it a different meaning, but it certainly has a different feel to it than, than the original one does. That's a great example. That was a really good example. Oh, I'm going to stew on that more. Um, another little fun, uh, fun fact about this song is that the, um, the uh the pianist who plays on Taylor's version um is a longtime band member um Paul Sidoti um who has worked with Taylor in the past um and he was brought back 
to perform on Taylor's version and to provide backup vocals alongside Mike Meadows, who's also been a part of Taylor's band for over a decade, um, which is super cool. I love that she has such a tight knit like family of musicians that she works with. And this is a quote from the pianist that I thought was just really sweet and um, kind of just shows you like how beloved she is by everyone she works with. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul said, when Taylor asked me to be a part of her re-record of Fearless, it brought back so many memories of what seemed like a lifetime ago. The music contained in this record exploded to all ends of the earth and forever changed my life and many of my bandmates who are also represented here. Getting to play these songs in the studio was like opening up a yearbook and fondly remembering the unbelievable times that were had during those couple years. I'm so thankful Taylor chose me to recreate that magic once again and to also do um to do one of my favorite things which is play acoustic piano getting to play the ballad version of forever and always will go down as a personal highlight for me which is so sweet yeah so nice (laughs) i love that she brought her touring band in to work on fearless taylor's version i just think that's really special it's so cool she comes across as the kind of artist that like really takes care of her um not only her musicians but like her dancers and Mm -hmm. and everybody who becomes part of her um uh like production team and touring family they all just seem very tight-knit I think that I think that probably the tone is set by the artist that they're all supporting right so I think that speaks very highly of her Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you know this but in case you don't Mm -hmm. a nice fact that will make you feel good about being a Taylor Swift fan is that when the pandemic hit and um, their tour got canceled for Lover, yeah. um, she actually paid all of her band members and all of her dancers um, to help them with the loss of income that they that were so experiencing. Nice. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember exactly how much she gave them or if it was published, how much she gave them, yeah. but I think it was a pretty sizable chunk. It was enough to keep them afloat for the uncertainty that of not knowing when or if they would be able to go on tour with her. So I just think that speaks all very highly of her moral character. Absolutely. That's amazing. And that's really, yeah, that's really, really fair. And when you think about how much money these big artists make, it's like, that is the least somebody can do. Um, And the fact that the fact that someone as big as her, who, you know, could so easily have let their fame go to their head, like still hasn't. I think that's awesome. Um, What a queen, man. What a queen. Absolutely. So interestingly, I couldn't find any performances where she's performed forever and always in this style live. Um, And I just did a quick YouTube search and I did forever and always piano version live. Mm -hmm. And everything that was like that I scrolled through on the first page was just a performance of forever and always like the normal version. So I don't know if like, I needed to reword my search or do anything different, but I, I just was found that really surprising because this is such a beautiful song. It is. And yeah. And you'd think that at some point there would have been an occasion for her to sit down at the piano and do it by herself. Cause she does that a lot with so many of her songs, but right. I couldn't find anything. So if anyone can let me know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Sure. I'll, I'm happy to go first. Cause I'll probably okay. talk talk for a very short amount of time on this one because I just think it's perfection Mm. um I don't know why but but somehow or some way the sad version of this song I think resonates even more with me than the angry version wow yeah I 
I think they're both, I mean, obviously the lyrics are all the same. The, the chords and the key and everything is the same. It's just the tone. And I, I can't explain it. It's just, it's the X factor of like what works for one person versus what works for another person. And I think that this version for me is a step up. Um, and it's, I think that on Taylor's version in particular, the strength of her vocals is is unmatched it is just mm-hmm. it is just fabulous it's so so exceptional and um i think in particular toward the end of the song when she does that refrain one more time the last time she does it when she gets up to the high part where she says in it rains when you're gone mm-hmm. instead of going into falsetto she just goes up there with her full power And, um, and even when she does the falsetto, like during other parts of the song too, it's so beautiful. But when she's up there with all of the power in her voice and sings those lyrics, it just feels like it's coming straight from her soul. And it's just like shaking my own soul. Like, it's like, (laughs) oh my God, I remember what this feels like. Like, how dare you bring this experience back to me? But at the same time, it's just like, that's why we listen to music, right? Because we, we want to, to, um, feel experience those things again and feel them again and um then appreciate like you know how far we've come or find comfort Mm -hmm. in the fact that other people have gone through them too right there's so many layers to it but she's amazing I think this version is highly underrated I think it's beautiful um and due only to the fact that the lyrics it rains in your bedroom still doesn't make sense even when written with beautiful piano underscoring it I have given it a 9.5 out of 10 because I think it's a perfect song other than the fact that my brain can't quite paint a clear picture of what exactly is happening when it's raining in your bedroom (laughs) you are nothing if not consistent Carly and I love that about you I was like well if I'm gonna knock it off the regular version I gotta knock it off the piano (laughs) version but I'll give it a little bit of a higher one because this song is one of my favorites. <laughs> Love that. Um, I mean, I I agree with everything you said. I don't have a whole lot to add. The only kind of thing that I would add to this conversation here, and I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, is that I think that with this production, this song could have been a track five. Mm. Um, the way that she always talks about her track fives being like, the most close to her heart or the most lyrically interesting, I think probably I will, this is kind of like an, like an alternate universe kind of a question, like in an alternate universe, if she had written this song before the day before the album went to production, if she had written the song earlier, if she had written the song earlier enough that she had enough time with her feelings to even conceptualize the piano version and then had done the piano version and, and then heard the way that it could sound, would she have taken white horse out? Would she have put this in as a piano version and not put the rock version on at all? Would the rock version have been like on the deluxe edition? Would they have been like flip-flopped? Um, would white horse be a vault track? I, it's kind of an interesting question to think about. It is in the multiverse. There is a, there is a universe in which that happened. I'm choosing to believe it because I, you, I mean, nailed it. Like this would be such a 
perfect track five. It really mm-hmm. would, especially considering like how hard she fought to get it on. I mean, as far as its closeness to her heart, mm, track five yeah. material for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting take. I love it. And I think that compared to White Horse, it's more lyrically complex um, yes. or it's it's more lyrically um, uh What's the word I'm looking for? Evocative, Um, maybe? Evocative, evocative, yeah. Compelling. Compelling is the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to say that White Horse is not lyrically compelling as a whole. Um, I just feel like this is a stronger song than White Horse was. Um, So that's, you know, it's interesting to think about if in a different timeline that actually might have happened with um, Forever and Always. Um, My rating... And I want to just reiterate to anybody listening, in case you haven't listened to every episode, when I rate things, it is based on my personal enjoyment. It is not a rating of the actual quality of the song. So because I am a sucker for the angry side of Taylor and I like pop and I'm into the upbeat stuff, I do prefer the regular version of this. Um, And as beautiful as this is, I just... Every once in a while, if I'm not feeling like a sad song, I will skip this one. And mm-hmm. please don't burn me at the stake for saying that. Um, so this gets an eight out of 10 for me, which is still good. I still, I can yeah. understand and admire and acknowledge the the beauty of this song. It's just not one that I'm always going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. No, that is perfectly fair and respectable. And I love too, that even like both, both different versions and considering your affinity for pop and all that stuff, universally, we've scored it four times and it's never been lower than an eight. Yeah. What, what a track. What a it's track. A, the great track. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Well, well, that wraps us up for tonight. Look at does. that. Do we have songs that we've been listening to this week ooh, of Taylor's? Ooh, great question. Nothing's coming to mind immediately, but let me take like a really quick look at my Spotify account and see if I can like see what I've recently played. Oh, okay. I actually do have one. Oh, what is so it? So I just today, or no, it was yet last night. And then I've been listening to it today. Last night, I made a playlist for the show I'm directing right now, Curious Incident mm-hmm. of the Dog in the Nighttime. And I always like to make a playlist for every show I direct because I feel like once I have a playlist for it, I, I go into rehearsals with like a very clear vision of the tone and the mood and like what we're trying to accomplish. And love the, that. Yeah, it's super helpful. And for, um, for this show, um, there's a lot of, um, without going into too much detail about like the plot and everything, there's a lot of, um, um, material in the show that feels very cosmic and feels really like, like it's about humans, but it's kind of like about how the world is so much bigger and more complex than any of us could ever fully understand. Mm. And so, um, there's a scene in the show too, where the main character is talking about how much he loves outer space and how he wishes he could go to space because he feels like it would he would be happiest in outer space and when he's talking about this the whole stage becomes outer space like we're going to project Ooh. stars everywhere and there's gonna yeah it's really cool and um and so the, the playlist is is very cosmic and very like big and dreamy and it's basically made up of songs that I feel like I would like to listen to if I were floating through space. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Mirror Ball by Taylor Swift. 
Oh, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, it just, and it fits so well because it's like, there's a lot of, um, big pop songs on this playlist, uh, mm-hmm. that are, that feel very big and very cosmic. And then this song is kind of a step down from the songs that come after before and after it but Mm -hmm. it still has that like when you close your eyes and listen to it you can just see like because of the lyrics and also the melody and the way and the music and the way she's written it you can like see just like orbs of light like passing by you um and yeah it's such a good there's so much good imagery in that song Oh, I love that. So that's what I, that's my, uh, my contribution for for today. That's great. Yeah. So that's ended up on our playlist for Curious Incident, which is awesome. Oh, I kind of want to see the whole playlist. I'm interested. Oh, I can send it to you if you want. It's just, it's also just full of bops, honestly. (laughs) My fave. (laughs) How about you? Do you have anything in particular today? Well, this past Saturday, two days ago, as of the day that we're recording this, um, was the one year anniversary of fearless Taylor's version. <gasps> That's right. Yes. Which, uh, what a magical day that was. Yeah. Um, I, I will hold on to the memories of the two days leading up to fearless Taylor's version very fondly in my heart for the rest of my life, because it was just so exciting. Um, but so I, on Saturday, I was like, I have no choice. I have to listen to fearless Taylor's version all day. And I, you know, it's not like that was like a hard decision to make. It's not like I was, you know, forcing myself, to do that. <laughs> right. but, um, I've been on a little bit of a one direction kick recently. And so I was like, the boys are going to have to take a back seat today. It's Taylor's day. Um, and the song that I'm going to choose, which I know I have talked about before as a, what I'm listening to track is the other side of the door, because, oh my God, I just freaking love that song so, <laughs> so good. much. Mm-hmm. So that is what I was listening to this week, in addition to One Direction. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think that that concludes today's episode. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Our first virtual episode. First virtual episode. Well, hopefully the post-production will go well. I'll download the audio. We'll we'll pray that it all comes through and sounds okay. Um, And hey, this could lead to much easier scheduling of recordings in the future. So hopefully more good things to come. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.